Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. We uh, have been in a series that we began last week. Um, uh, it doesn't tell more than a song. Uh, the Bible is our authority and it is the, the point of instruction and and truth that we have. But there is something unique about uh, church music, uh, the music of the church, just represented by this hymnal, even though we don't use hymnals anymore, um, that is unique. There is nothing else like it in any of the belief systems that you're going to come out along out there. Um, from Beethoven to Bach to Handel's Messiah uh, to the current worship songs that we sing today, um, church music has shaped uh, culture and art. And there's something about music that that moves us in a way that sometimes just speaking doesn't as they were as we were singing um, the song uh, about you know great is your faithfulness uh, and first service particularly I find myself just getting emotional again about that because as I'm singing those words I'm remembering all the different times God has been faithful even when I've not been and that just catches me you know his grace and his love for us so music moves us the song you just heard um, is uh, entitled in Christ alone and in Christ alone um, was written, I think, around uh, 2002 um, by a, a man named Townen. He was a friend of someone named uh, um, Getty, uh, uh, and they together collaborated in order to write this song. Um, Townen was raised up in the Church of England, and he was the son of a pastor, and so he was one who really was aware of some of the depths, not only of Christian music, but of Scripture and the applying of that. Um, so the song we're going to take a look at here today, um, but as we get into this, we need to understand something that is unique about this song and some of the other songs that uh, we sing in this church. Not all of them, but there are a lot of songs that have a, a degree of theology. And now, I know when I use that word, the moment I said the word theology some of you started to twitch, okay? Because, you know, I come to church to feel good. I come to church to, for therapy, or I come to church for social, or I come to church to whatever, but not for theology. Well, you know, my first thing is to be very flippant and say tough, okay? But the reality is that the purpose as to why we should gather in part is, yes, celebratory. Yes, it is social. Yes, it is encouraging one another. But it's also to have an understanding of what we believe. It was said a long time ago that um, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. And if you don't understand what you believe and why you believe it, then um, there's a problem with that. And the song we're going to look at today, and as I said, we're looking at different ones. Now, last week, we looked at, at uh, one that was written 500 years ago. A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther. And the church still sings this song, but it's 500 years old. And, and I know some of you who are here is like, hmm. Okay, so this year we're up to 2002, okay? Um, and we'll be doing some more contemporary songs as we go along. 
But the song of, of In Christ Alone is packed with theology. And it's what's called a creedal song. Now, I didn't say cradle. I said creedal. It's based upon creeds. Now, when I say creed, some of you immediately go to Michael B. Jordan and a movie, okay, or the Rocky series. Or you go to a band named Creed that was kind of soulful and I liked them too. That's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're going to talk for a little bit of time, not long, it will be palatable. We're going to talk about creeds. Now, a creed, if we have the definition up here real quickly, is a formal statement of religious belief, a confession of faith. Now, it can also be a system of belief or principles, and it can be a statement of belief on any subject, but it's primarily one about the church, and it's regarded by the framers as necessary for salvation or at least for the well-being of the Christian church. So a creed, at its best, is a formal statement of religious belief. It's a confession of faith. It's a statement of this is what we believe. This is what we hold to be the truth. Now, the oldest form of creed that you find in the Scripture is referred to as the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles didn't write it. It probably dates back to around 140 A.D. But in 140, they realized they needed to put some things down on paper and, and sort this out. But these were things that were already being spoken of or said within the church. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, we have Timothy. Paul is talking to him and saying, fight the good fight of Faith, he's emphasizing faith, take hold of the eternal life, he's referencing, to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What's he talking about there? When they would have joined the church, when Timothy joined the church or when he became involved there, there was a point in time when he would have stood before everyone and he would have recited a creed. He would have said, this is what I believe. And it would have aligned with everyone else in the room at that point in time. Now, it wasn't a detailed type of thing. There's a lot of things that Christians can disagree with. Catholics can disagree with Orthodox. Orthodox can disagree with, uh, um, with Protestants. Um, Pentecostals can disagree with just about everybody. I mean, we can disagree with different people, okay? But there are core elements that are true in any of those items that are called Christian. And the earliest one, as I said, is the Apostles' Creed, and it was an attempt to systematize things a bit, if you will. So I'm going to read this to you real quickly here. The Apostles' Creed, some of you are familiar with it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Uh, quick doesn't mean the really fast ones that got away. It means those who are alive still, okay? So the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and there it's not referring to the Roman Catholic Church. In this terminology, Catholic means the church universal. Sometimes we talk about our church, small c. We talk about being part of the church, large c, cap c, of the, of the church universal. So and when it's talking here, it's not talking Roman Catholic, but saying the church universal. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right? So that was the earliest creed, 140 or so. Um, and it was great. It covered a lot of stuff and, and, and took care of a lot of issues that needed to be addressed um, at the time. But then there were some issues that came up down the line. Now, this next one I want to take a look at real quick. Uh, and I, I'm curious, how many of you here have a Catholic background? You're raised Catholic. That's what I thought, given our area, okay? Uh, how many of you um, uh, have a Lutheran background? Okay, you're like Catholic once removed. Okay. Um, okay, he's got a Lutheran background. 
Um, just out of curiosity, how many, how many Pentecostal background? Okay, that's my background originally, and the background of the church originally. Okay, so it's an interesting mix we have here, and I could break this down further. How many of you have no background, whatever? But those of you who had the Lutheran Catholic, um, great things about Lutheran Catholic, and, and I'm going to sum this up as Presbyterian in a way. The Presbyterian uh, in times past, not so much today, but in times past, had really solid teaching. They really bore down. They wanted to know the truth and declare the truth, and they bore down on that. But they were so focused on that that their worship was pretty dry and boring. They weren't into the music scene a whole lot, and it just was very... But they knew the truth and their theology. And then you had Pentecostals, um, those of us who were in that background. Um, the creeds, we have no idea what those are. Okay, you didn't study a lot of theology. It was all about the worship. It was all about the emotion. It was all about the expression of that. And I'm not saying theology didn't creep in, but that wasn't a central part of what we got into a lot of times. And so Presbyterians, great theology in depth. Um, not so much worship, though. Pre Pentecostals, great worship, a little weaker sometimes on the theology. We try and have striven over the years in this church to be Presbycostal. Okay. <laughs> So that's what we're reaching for. Okay, now we don't always get it. The worship isn't always as exciting as it should be, and the theology may be not as deep, but this is what we strive for, okay? So just know you're in a Presbycostal church, if anybody asks you. That's non-denominational, but they're Presbycostals, okay? And that's what they do, all right? So the Nicene Creed comes along a little bit later down the line, and the reason why the Nicene Creed comes along, and it's one of the most influential ones that you're going to find, is because there's this guy um, whose name was uh, Arius, Arius was a deacon in a church in Alexandria, Egypt. And this is back around the 300s or so. And he gets this idea, trying to understand the nature of God, that there is God the Father, but Jesus is somehow this being that he created. And so he's not God. And it was emphasizing the, 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 the humanness, if you will, of Jesus. Um, the earlier discussion had been on, on emphasizing Jesus's divinity and that he wasn't man. And there's problems with both of those. Heresy is truth in exclusion to other truth. And so if we sit here and say, God, or Jesus was fully man, well, what use was his sacrifice? If you say he was fully God, then there was no real sacrifice because he didn't suffer anything being God. He just kind of, you know, it was, a, it was an act of some type. So when we come to discuss the nature of Christ and we say, was he fully God or was he fully man? The answer to that is yes. Yeah. How does that work? Don't know. One of the reasons why I'm a Christian, coming from the intellectual background and education that I have, is because Christianity is the, the only thing that has an approach to God that honestly isn't human-based. When I look at Mormonism, or I look at Jehovah's Witness, for example, which takes the Arianist position that, that, that they like Arius. They, they literally say that you know, Jesus was just a created being. Um, or uh, any of the other things we want to go out to, from Hindu to Islam, God's alone, solitary for all time, but somehow he's merciful and loving, not if he had no object ever to have that love expressed at any time. None of that makes sense, but it's also very human. Mormonism is very human. I get to be a god if I follow Mormonism, and I get to have unending sex in heaven with multiple women until I populate my own planet with my spirit children. Hey, that sounds cool. Okay? And I'm not trying to slander. This is fact. When we come to Christianity, there's something unique with this, that somehow Christ is fully God and fully man, that God has for eternity been expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that yet they're somehow one. 
and, and, and that for eternity, the Father's loved the Son, and the Son has loved um, uh, the, the Spirit, and the Spirit has loved the Father. They, that love has existed from the beginning and has been for eternity, and, and they invite us to be part of this love. There's something about that that is just, I can't quite wrap my brain around. That seems under otherworldly, and that should be the case because God is not of this world. He created this world, but he is not of this world, and we anthropomorphize him too much in our attempts to understand or grasp. And so there's this, there's this otherness about God that we see in Scripture that yet still he reaches out and tries to reveal himself to us. And so as Arius is sitting here trying to grasp this, and he's saying, well, then he must be a created being, but that does violence to so many other things. It's in that conversation that there was a council that was held of, of all the bishops and leaders they could gather um, at that time in uh, 325, I think it was, uh, A.D. And they gathered in a little town called Nicaea, which is, I think, roughly 100 miles east or so, 60 miles east of, of current Istanbul. But in those days, Istanbul wasn't Istanbul. In those days, it was Constantinople named after Constantine the Great, and it was the capital, or about to become, in a few more years, the capital of the Roman Empire. And when Rome fell, it fully became that and continued on for another thousand years. And so in the first council, which is the Nicaea in 325, and then the next council, they had to do a follow-up to clean up some of the language. They met in Constantinople proper in 381. When they got all that stuff together, that's when they began to sort out um, this creed to clarify more the nature of God. And so this is now the Nicene Creed. Some of you will, will recognize this, okay? We can throw that up there, okay? The Nicene Creed, because the first town was Nicaea. If the first town had been Constantinople, we'd be talking about the Constantinople. It'd be a lot tougher. Um, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, worlds before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and women, I would include obviously in this, this is the time period we're in, 325 guys, give them a break, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate or enfleshed by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. That's better phrased as in fulfilling of the Scriptures. Um, it wasn't like, hey, we read in the Scripture that this happened. It's more he fulfilled the Scriptures. And ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, again, it's the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And it goes on, it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. They're all together God. Who spoke by the prophets, and I believe in one holy, Catholic, one universal, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Okay, so that creed that they popped out at that time period, that really broke it down a lot more uh, defined. Now, what I'm going to do real quickly here is I want to walk through just one or two phrases. Leave that up there, if you will, except when we have to throw a scripture up. When we get to throw a scripture up, okay? Not that we have to. I want to walk just one or two things for you to try to break this down a little clearer for you. Wait a minute, I thought we were going to. I thought this was all about singing the songs. We'll get to that. Hang on, all right? We're going to come to that, all right? So, if we're looking at this passage, 
Let's start off with the opening statement there. Believe in one God, Father Almighty, make of heaven and earth and all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus, the only begotten Son, begotten of the Father before all worlds, there's something they're trying to emphasize here. This comes best, I always say, let's throw a passage there of John 1.14. It says, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The language used there of begotten, when we say begotten son, it, it implies a sexual aspect of that, and that's not what they're reaching for in this. The term begotten here means one of a kind, only, soul, unique. Jesus has always existed with a father. The spirit has always existed. But their relationship is such within that of father-son, and it's the only one of a kind, soul, unique. It says begotten of the father, and it's before all worlds. And the language there is a little strange, and it's kind of interesting to get into, and I'm not going to take the time here because this can be either a relatively short message or an extremely long message. Which way do you want to go? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Some of you are sick. You want to go long. Um, we're going to keep this short. And so some of the language, though, comes out a little bit like this. Um, it's saying kind of the, the ages. In other words, that... that um, that, that begotten of the Father before all worlds, before all ages, before all time. In other words, outside of time, the relationship is eternal. It's always existed. Next line that goes, God of God, light from light, or light of light. It means God of God, light of light, or you can put it as God from God, light from light. And, and so it's saying it's the same substance, the same nature. Christ is the same. There was another guy that opposed Arius. This guy name was from the same town uh, in Alexandria. His name was Athanasia. And um, he championed the other side of this. And they had an interesting analogy they used. Um, light is continuously streaming forth from the sun. And in those days, it was assumed that light was instantaneous. We know that's not quite true today, but for our visuals it is. So there's no delay at all between the time that a ray of light left the sun and the time that it strikes the earth. In, their, in, in our understanding of it. The rays of light are derived from the sun, they would say, and not vice versa. But it's not the case that first the sun existed and afterwards the light. It's, it's possible to imagine that the sun has always existed and always emitted light. The light then is derived from the sun, but the light and the sun exist simultaneously throughout eternity. They are co-eternal, said. Just so the sun exists because the Father exists. But there was never a time before the Father produced the sun. And so it's, it's, it's really kind of a cool analogy to grasp. To see the sunlight, in other words, is to see the sun. And so this is why in John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus is emphasizing that, that um, complete unity of time. Um, the last thing I think I'll touch on here probably, uh, second to last or so, is um, very God from very God, or true God from true God. And this passage is being emphasizing, again, just the, the continuity, the, 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 the totalness of their, their being of one substance. And in fact, it goes on and says, uh, says of being of one substance with the Father. Um, and there's more things we'll say about that, but it's emphasizing what it is. And then this part here says, through him or by whom all things were made. By whom all things were made. In John chapter 1, verse 3, we're talking about Jesus. Through him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. And so this whole purpose of this creed, and there's a couple of other purposes, but the primary purpose that it had was to emphasize and talk about the nature of God, the Trinitarian aspect of who he is, to bring to us an understanding of that. Wrapped within that is then also an understanding of salvation, ultimately. And John 3.16, we'll read this portion here. says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, only one unique soul, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only unique soul son. And then this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, that light being Christ. The people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So as we look through this whole creedal moment and passage, um, I want you now, having that background and that understanding, I want you now to understand the lyrics of a song that you have sung before, and we will sing again in a moment of time. But when you sing this song, I want you to sing it with a level of understanding and engagement that you probably did not have before. So, as we look into um, the lyrics of In Christ Alone, and if we want to put that first verse up, if you have it there, that would be great, okay? Um, now, I'm, I'm going to try to walk this through without too much confusion for you. The first thing is this. The title of the song is In Christ Alone. We're not going to go to this passage yet, but you're going to find the title of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, but we won't go there. Just hang with me. That's the title of the song, and it's wrapped in theology. So in Christ alone, my hope is found. We have no other hope for salvation. And then it uses biblical terms. He's my light, as we read here, and there's multiple places for that. My strength. He's my song, David uses in the Psalms many times about that. This cornerstone, the scripture defines Jesus as the cornerstone of the building. Um, this solid ground, it talks a lot of times about God being our firm foundation. And then it says firm through the fiercest drought and storm. It's that solid place, that unchanging truth that is present. This is again where it's important that you understand what truth is. I said earlier that heresy is when you have truth, an exclusion to other truth. Today, for example, in our society, and many of us in this room are confused by this because you have not studied this, um, we're told that God, that Jesus would accept anybody. And therefore, what right do we have to judge anybody? There's no judgment. There's nothing at all. It's just acceptance fully on. That's true, but it's not true. There, there's a discrimination that Christ has in this sense. If we are sinners, then, then there needs to be a repentance of that sin. Upon the repentance of that sin, there's full acceptance regardless of the sin, regardless of who you are and what you've done. But without that repentance, 
there's no acceptance. Well, wait a minute, that can't be because we know from the Bible that God is love. It tells us that, and that's true. And the Father's always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Spirit, and the Spirit's always loved the Father. There's been a love for eternity, unlike Allah who stands alone. So we know that love is eternal. We know it's part of the nature of God. That is very true, but that's one part of who God is. The other part that we can never forget is God is also holy, that he cannot abide sin. In fact, the angels, as they gather around the throne of God, singing his attributes, they do not sing, love, 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 God is love. Yes, that's who he is, but that's not what they sing. We find in the book of Isaiah that what the angels sing as they gather around his throne is what? Holy, holy, holy. Not even just holy is the Lord, but holy, holy, holy. They're emphasizing that. There's a holiness to God. And that means that there's going to be a judgment at some point in time. And that means that for those that don't repent, that yes, God rejects those who don't repent. And so if you follow those patterns, saying, well, he accepts, yes, he accepts anybody who repents of sin. Well, who's to say who sin is? That's what this is for. And that's what God says. And that truth stands. So it says, firm through the fiercest droughts and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in love of Christ I stand. Um, this whole uh, statement he's making here about, about fear, we'll talk about that a little further as we go along. Verse 2, in Christ alone who took on flesh. He's talking about the incarnation now. This is creedal, not critical, creedal. Fullness of God and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Oh, those terrible Jews. No, that's us. Scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, and then this line, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. Some people have a real problem with this line in this song. God's angry? Yes, because he's holy and we're sinners. The most powerful message that was ever given in the United States by most historical records was given in the early 1700s by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards, the title of the, of, the, of the message was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he painted the picture of God's wrath and his holiness and his anger at our sinfulness so profoundly that people were broken and weeping at the end of the message. He had them like dangling over the pit of hell and the only thing that was keeping them from falling in was this thin thread that any moment could drop, but it was only the hand of God. He was trying to emphasize the grace of God, but in the process he emphasized first and foremost the threat that everyone was under because of the wrath of God. That all of us are sinners in the hands of an angry God and what does that mean if we fall into his hands without repentance, without God's grace? Now, here's the thing. If, if, you are, if you're not a sinner, then you don't have to worry about any of this. So for those of you in this room who have never sinned, you're good. You're good. Never lied, never cheated, never had a bad thought, never an angry, lustful, none of that. You are golden and deeply deluded. Okay? Scripture says all have sinned. Mother Teresa, yes, she sinned. Billy Graham, oh, say it ain't so, yes. Donald Trump, yes. Joe Biden, yes. Go down the list. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and God's wrath is upon us. And so when the singer, songwriter is, is singing this out and writing this out, and he sits here and says, until on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. That's huge. No longer are we sinners in the hands of an angry God. No longer are we dangling over the pit of hell. Christ's sacrifice has satisfied God's wrath against holiness because now we take on Christ's righteousness because it says, for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ, in his death, I live. That's good stuff. Verse three, there in the ground, his body lay. Well, then that means no, no good, right? No, this is light of the world. Again, that light from the Nicene comes in. By darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Now, I'm going to read to you. It's not, I don't have it on the screen. But First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He's, he's the songwriter bringing him, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Think of this. Now we're into the fourth verse. No guilt in life. If you have repented, regardless of whatever it is you've repented of, regardless of whatever sin there is, there is no guilt anymore. Don't, Focus on that. This one, no fear in death. Some of us fear death. I don't fear death. I, I fear suffering. I'm not into suffering. I don't like suffering. But death? So what? You die, you're immediately with Christ. All ills are over. Everything is done. My parents, both of my parents, served Christ their entire life practically. My father passed away in his 90s, all right? My mom is now 91. She's about to become 92 in December. She, she, her birthday is the day after Christmas. Terrible birthday. Always gets ripped off. Okay, mom, stop the live stream if you watch this later, okay? Just <laughs> put it on mute for one minute, all right? My mom's upset because uh, she was on the phone the other day with me because 30, 40 years ago, 30-some years ago, I think it was, she used some money from her retirement to get an insurance policy. She wanted to make sure the kids had something. So she got an insurance policy, life insurance policy. Well, it's supposed to last for the life, except nobody anticipated the really low interest rates that are going on right now. So the last report is that it, 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 it ceases to function on her birthday this December. And she's really upset because she's like, I put this money away and if I had it, you guys would have something and now you're going to have anything. She says, if I die the day after my birthday, I'm going to be so mad at God. You know, like, <laughs> And we're sitting here saying, well, we can help you with that. I mean, let's just... <laughs> no. I mean, hey, be absent in the bodies, be present with Christ, it's all good. Um, <laughs> no, I've said over the years, my parents are the people you wouldn't want to have been on an airplane with. If the airplane's going down, everyone's screaming, everyone's trying to do desperately something to stop, they're the ones that are sitting on the, in row 25B going, wee, all the way down. <laughs> Why? 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 No guilt in life, no fear in death. Just, I'm just saying it is. This is the power of Christ in me, not my righteousness. Not your righteousness. It says, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. 
The power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till you turn or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Some people do not like this last verse. They have a problem with it. So let me read you some scripture right now. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. They might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. For I'm convinced in chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When at the first verse they're saying what heights of love, what depths of peace, um, when it talks in this portion here about him commanding my destiny and that nothing can pluck us from his hand, there are two positions about the, the, the nature of God's sovereignty and our free will. Arminius says it's mostly ours and we choose to follow Christ and it's a decision we make and it's, it's our responsibility overwhelmingly. Calvin, this other position, comes along and says, wait a minute, God is sovereign. Yes, and Arminius says, but we have free will. Calvin says, yeah, but God's sovereign, which means he controls everything, he runs everything, there's nothing that surprises me, he knows it all. And so they would come over here and say, no, he elects who he chooses, he predetermines, he, he makes those decisions. Now again, it's like the same thing of what we talked about before, it's both. We do have free will, and somehow we don't understand how this works, but we have the freedom to decide. But God also knows, he's determined, there's something that he's called, he has a place for it, he is, he's specially aware of that. Now, there are those that say, and I agree with this, that the best way is to act like an Arminian and think like a Calvinist. In other words, believe that you can't lose your salvation, but act like you can. And then you don't have to worry about the question, because there are people come along sometimes and say, I don't know if I'm saved or not, or I don't know if I did this. If, it were. if you're worried about it, it's not an issue. If I sit here and go, I want to do the best I can to serve God, but I also know that I'm secure in his hands, that, that nothing can take me out. It's not something you accidentally trip and fall and you're suddenly out of grace. It's something that you harden your heart over time and refuse to any longer hear the word of the Lord. Refuse to any longer pursue anything of that nature. This scripture in Romans chapter 8 is the summation of this song. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Not just by, well, it just happens. That is in Christ Jesus. That's why in Christ alone my hope is found. That's why I come and I repent of my sin. And once I repent and align with his scripture and his word, then these things are active and happen. There's a provision. And in that provisioning, nothing can ever interfere with that. Team's gonna come out. They're gonna lead us in this song in just a moment of time. And as we prepare to sing this song today with hopefully a new and deeper understanding than we would have had before, I want to say some final words to you in this moment of time. And it's going to go something like this. If you feel that you have sinned in some way that you can never, ever walk with God, that whatever it was you did is so deep and dark, he will never, ever forgive that, then you are so wrong. Because as much as he is holiness, he is love. And when we repent, when we align with him, then it's like any father. Okay, we're good. 
You've aligned. You've straightened it out. All right, we're good. If you're one who has stood and you said, well, God loves all and I don't have to do anything about that and he accepts everyone and, and it's all good, it's all nothing, then you need to understand this day that there is a holy God and there is a need for repentance and that there is an issue of judgment. And if you're not a follower of Christ this day, you face a holy God that at that time of judgment, if you have not repented and confessed and laid yourself before God by the way of Christ, then today I would encourage you, you can press into this song and even as we sing the lyrics, you can make this a song of repentance. You can find the peace and security that you'll find yourself not in the hands of an angry God, but in the hands of a loving God. Finally, I'd say this. If you are an old-timer who grew up in the church, and by old-timer, you could be actually 20 years old, and some of you are, and you've grown up in the church. The danger is that those of us who've had that, we take things for granted like God's grace, the church community, family, friends, God's grace. And that can be an incredibly dangerous place to be. The song is sung in boldness. It is a creed of belief, a statement of faith, but it's also one of thanksgiving. It's also one of celebration. And so now understanding this creedal song and the roots and the history of what this is about, I invite you I ask you, stand with us and let's join together.
guys, if you'd put up the Nicene Creed. And um, we're going to read this together uh, as we leave here today. Now, here's the deal. Last Sunday, this Sunday, you've survived those two. Those were the toughest parts of this series, all right? From here on, it gets much harder, I mean, much easier, okay? <laughs> uh, it'll be much easier. These were the tough ones to get onto, all right? Now, we're going to read this together. Catholics, I'm counting on you guys, all right? <laughs> really am. All right. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead I just had to hear you guys for that last line. That was just kind of cool, all right? This is the church. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Know what you believe. Be literate in the Scripture. Make sure you have a paper Bible, one of real substance, not just an online one because those can be changed or taken away. But this one... I have to fight to get this one out again. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for music thoughtfully, carefully crafted to reflect the truths, to teach those things to us, to remind us of things, to, to keep an understanding ever before us. As we continue in this series, Lord, help us to understand that it's more than a song. There's deeper meaning and that we can learn from these things and apply them to our lives. We commit ourselves to your way. In the name of Jesus Christ and the church, one more time said, Amen. Amen. Amen.